It's the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. And after a few days off, we are back. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of the show, we've got plenty to discuss. We're going to be looking back at the win over Newcastle. We're going to be discussing Thierry Henry's comments regarding Daniel Ek. I'll be answering some of your questions and we'll be talking a little bit about the fan protests at Old Trafford, Burn Leno, who supposedly... Uh, is considering a move away from Arsenal. And we'll be touching on the news that broke this afternoon about Jose Mourinho. He has taken the reins at AS Roma. Of course, there'll be a huge focus on the Arsenal topics, but we will touch on those bits and pieces too at some point during the show. So plenty to get through. Um, First of all, I want to say a massive thank you for all bearing with me over the weekend. Uh, It was the Orthodox Easter over the weekend. Um, so yeah, it was a, a time for family, um, and a time to, you know, to, to chill, I guess. And, um, I really needed it. I needed a couple of days break. Um, it's done me good in some ways, but somehow I've managed to pick up a cold in the meantime. So as a disclaimer at the beginning of the show, you may hear a sniffle or two, you may hear a cough. You may see me reaching for a tissue <laughs> to blow my nose, of course. Uh, but all of that is is something I can't avoid at the moment. Um, somehow, in my only two days off, I've managed to get myself a cold. But there you go, is what it is. But we push through anyway. And as I say, there is plenty to get through. So uh, big uh, happy Easter, basically, to everybody who uh, was celebrating over the weekend. Hope you all had a great time with your families. and. Um, an Arsenal weekend, an Arsenal win, sorry, over the weekend, obviously, uh, was nice too. So let's let's kick off there. Let's start with the win over Newcastle United. Now, I know Newcastle United ain't exactly, um, you know, anything special. And, and a win over them is not necessarily something to shout about. You know, up until a couple of weeks ago, they were uh, part of the relegation scrap. They'll be fine now. Um, but, you know, they are... Uh, one of the teams that you would regard as as one of the weakest in the Premier League. They have been throughout the course of the season. We did a show with uh, with the Gallagher shots uh, on Saturday, where we heard um, all sorts, you know, about sort of the the illusions that fans from outside of Newcastle United are under with regards to that club. Uh, they just want to see progress. They're not really seeing it under Steve Bruce. He's fortunate that there are teams worse than them in the Premier League, and that's why ultimately they are surviving. But they don't put it down to Steve Bruce being any uh, being particularly good at his job or particularly special. But from an Arsenal perspective, there were plenty of changes, plenty of changes, and we expected that to be the case. Of course, Arsenal head into Thursday's Europa League semi-final second leg with Villarreal, and there was a need for Mikel Arteta in many ways 
to prioritise that game. Look, as far as the Premier League goes, we all know, we've all been disappointed uh, by where we find ourselves. We are in ninth. I can't envisage us finishing any higher than that, um, which is obviously uh, a worse finish than last season where we finished eighth. So, you know, this, this competition, the Europa League, not only represents a way back into the Champions League, but you feel as though it, it will buy Mikel Arteta some time because it feels as though pressure from all areas of the fan base is starting to increase on the Spaniard because we've not seen the progress in the Premier League. Um, you know, there's no getting away from that. However much you want to dress it up, however much you like him. And I do, uh, I do like him. It just, it's, um, it's getting increasingly difficult to defend him. Uh, in that sense. But let's look at the team that played against Newcastle United. And I'm not going to spend the whole podcast talking about this game because I appreciate it's a couple of days later. I appreciate that most of you will probably be sick to death about hearing about this game. But some of the interesting changes were Matt Ryan in goal, uh, were Hector Bellerin coming in at right back. David Luiz, who we thought at one stage was going to be out for the remainder of the season, was on the bench, of course, for the first leg in Villarreal. And then got the nod at Newcastle, part of the starting 11. However, he did pick up an injury and had to be replaced on the 53rd minute, which is obviously bad news because I still uh, make David Luiz Arsenal's best central defender. I know a lot of people would disagree with that. A lot of people want to see him leave the club, etc., etc. But I do genuinely believe that. And um, maybe in some ways you could say that that, put, that highlights where we are as a football club right now. Um, but yeah. Other interesting uh, bits of team news was that Gabriel Martinelli uh, started from the off and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang led the line. And Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, of course, getting on the score sheet. <coughs> Apologies. There you go. There's the first one. Six minutes in. Jeez, sorry. Um, so, yeah. Oh, my God, that's so embarrassing in the middle of the podcast. But there we go. So uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang leading the line, uh, scoring a goal. And, and most importantly, getting some fitness under his belt, because, of course, he's been out with malaria, uh, was a substitute last Thursday, but didn't really get uh, much of a run out of Alexander Lacazette looking increasingly unlikely uh, to to feature on Thursday night. It becomes imperative, doesn't it, that Aubameyang is available, is fit and fingers crossed what happened on Sunday, uh, i.e. Get him, him getting some game time and scoring a goal will stand him in good stead to... Uh, to help impact the tie and hopefully steer us through. Uh, what else have we got to touch on on the game? Uh, looking at the goals, obviously, uh, really good work down the right-hand side, which led to Elneny's goal. Um, for me, really, what I liked about it was Hector Bellerin um, and the run that he made down the right-hand side. And Hector Bellerin, for me, gets a lot of stick as an Arsenal fan. Uh, as an Arsenal player, I should say. Um, and a lot of it is not justified. It's not warranted. You know, there's people out there that that feel like Callum Chambers is, is the right person to play in that role. And I look at Callum Chambers sometimes and I think, yeah, he's decent, but I don't look at him with the confidence to say that he should play there every single week and that we're a better side overall with him in there than with Bellerin. And I think Bellerin... Under Arteta, his role has changed a little bit. He plays in this more inverted position. And I think sometimes we see the benefit of that, other times we don't. But, you know, Hector Bellerin 
for me, probably should come back into the side against Villarreal. But we'll talk about that, of course, closer to the time. And once we have all the team news and uh, as usual, we'll be bringing you the full coverage of that game before, after, during, etc., etc. Um, Martinelli must be sitting there, you know, wondering uh, whether he's done enough to earn a place in the starting eleven uh, for the game against Villarreal on Thursday. And in my mind, he has, but still not convinced that Mikel Arteta will pick him. Um, you know, picking him and keeping Pepe in the side might mean that Bukayo Saka has to drop out. And I know a lot of fans won't want to hear that, but Bukayo Saka in the final third hasn't been as effective as he has been in, in recent uh, in recent months. So, you know, is it time that he got left out of the side? I don't know. These are all things that we should be debating. In the lead up to this game um, against Villarreal, lots of talking points, but um, Newcastle win was pretty routine. Um, and I've got nothing really more to say on it. You know, red card, maybe a little bit harsh from a Newcastle perspective at the end of the game, but it was a horrible challenge from behind. And so I can see why the referee gave it. Other than that, other than a neat finish from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, an acrobatic finish and a really good ball into the box from Gabriel Martinelli for the second goal. Um, not really many highlights, uh, I've got to say. Let's go over to the live chat. Big hello to everybody joining us in the live chat. Make sure you guys smash the like button if you haven't done so already. And as you can see, like I can't even hide it. I look fucking terrible. Um, I'm sniffling. I'm having to blow my nose, etc., etc. I've sneezed live on a podcast. Uh, you can all see that I'm not feeling uh, very well. So I'm not going to make this a particularly long one, uh, but we will address all the points that I said we address. I promise. Uh, Matt Beaumont says, get yourself to bed, Harry. Oh, mate, I, I think I need to. Uh, Marshall says, hi, Harry. City versus PSG. Watch along tonight. Honestly, Marshall, my plan was to do that. My plan, because I took a couple of days off uh, to make up for the lack of content, was to do a City versus PSG watch along, but I don't think I can last 90 minutes talking, um, feeling like this, unfortunately. So I'm going to knock that on the head, but I promise I'll bring you some non-Arsenal watch alongs as well uh, in the very, very near future. Uh, big hello to Steve, to, to Gunatel, uh, to Gideon, uh, to Osman, to Peanut Butter Jelly Time, to Matt, to Aaron, to Jorge Morales, who says he's watching from work in the United States. Hope you're well, mate. And a big hello to Jack the Ripper as well. Right. Uh, well, let's move on. Let's talk about these reports regarding Bern Leno. There has been some rumours that Bern Leno is considering his future at Arsenal and may want to seek a move back to Germany in the summer. If he does, then so be it. As long as someone comes and pays the right money, then I'm not completely against that. I've, I've looked at Bern Leno at times and I've talked about him as being someone who could potentially win you games with his ability to pull off wonderful saves. But equally, um, you know, he, he's got an error in him and he doesn't fill me with confidence week in, week out. So if the money's right, like many players in this squad, and it's not a dig at Bern Leno, um, and, I, and I would advise you to take the reports with a pinch of salt, by the way, as well. Uh, but, you know, like many players in this squad, if the price is right, I think you've got to sell them because they're just far too many players who are decent, and can produce from time or, or produce a lot of the time, but don't produce enough of the time for Arsenal to be up there battling with the rest of the teams competing for the top four. So, um, 
my view on on the reports is it's no skin off my nose. You know, if we can get the right money in, then I, I wouldn't be against Arsenal replacing Burn Leno. Put it this way: he's not somebody that I'm so um, attached to that I would be upset if he left. Like genuinely, I, I don't feel that way about Burn Leno. Never have. Um, a lot of people were were beating the drum about the goalkeeping situation last summer. Many felt that we allowed the wrong goalkeeper to leave the club. And I'm not sure I completely agree with that, but um, it just goes to show you that Burn Leno isn't held in uh, as high esteem by many Arsenal fans as maybe uh, they think he is from the outside. Because I hear a lot of non-Arsenal fans when I talk to them, one of the first players they always talk about is, is Burn Leno. You know, he's a very good goalkeeper, etc., etc. Maybe he looks a good goalkeeper or a great goalkeeper when you only watch match of the day. But he does have an error in him. He does make mistakes. Um, it's not to say I, 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 I dismiss his qualities, but as I've said time and time again, if the money is right, I would consider. Um, and I think if a bid came in for Bernardo that we felt was close to his valuation, we would have to at the very least consider it. Let's uh, go over to some of your questions because we put a post on the YouTube channel uh, the other day where I mentioned that we the podcast will be returning today. And uh, I asked for questions and there are quite a few in there. So let's address uh, those or some of those at least. Um, and let's start with the one uh, from Xander, who says, what are your thoughts on Arteta's comments about Kieran Tierney and Martinelli and their lack of connection on the pitch? Is this an issue or an excuse to Martinelli's lack of minutes up until Kieran Tierney's injury? A lot of people... Um, I think a lot of people have made a major, major thing of these comments. For me, it wasn't that big a deal. I think the point Mikel Arteta was trying to make, and it's very easy to take things out of context. Um, I think the point he was trying to make was that Martinelli is not a winger, right? A lot of people talk about Martinelli being a winger. He's not. Martinelli is a left forward. Martinelli is a, is a forward that plays from the left. Uh, rather than being a winger who's going to get up and down the pitch, up and down the pitch. Yes, he works back and he tracks back because that is what he's expected to do. But it's not his natural game. He wants to be in the final third. That is where Martinelli wants to be. And I think the point that a left back like Xhaka, and again, I'm not for a minute suggesting I want to see Xhaka playing at left back all the time. But the point that a left back who doesn't go forward, who doesn't overlap him, and therefore force him to start from a more narrow position suits Martinelli's game. Kieran Tierney, as, as you know, if he was playing alongside Gabriel Martinelli, what would he be doing? He'd be bombing on the outside of him every single time. And Martinelli's game would become a little bit predictable the way that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's game from the left became a little bit predictable earlier in the season. And it's why many of us throughout the course of the campaign have at times wanted to see Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang left out of the side. So I think the point that Mikel makes about the pair maybe not necessarily being 100% suited to one another's games is probably a valid one. Um, but it's not what people wanted to hear because ultimately everybody, or pretty much everybody, wants to see both of those players playing in the side regularly. I still have a feeling that Martinelli's future is through the middle. Um, I really, really do. But, you know, 
some people made a big deal out of that comment. For me, it, it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, it was a an observation made by a manager. I know a lot of people have tried to say that it, you know, it was it was Arteta trying to make an excuse. He was trying to cover up previous decisions, etc. Genuinely, I don't see it that way. I see it as an observation made by a manager, which I might not necessarily one hundred percent agree with, but I can understand. And and so for me, it wasn't that big a deal. But it's a great question because it's something that's been talked about by plenty um, over the last few days. Uh, Graham Sutherland asks, should Martinelli play on Thursday, Harry? I mean, this kid, if he doesn't get a start on Thursday after yet another impressive performance, and again, I know it was against Newcastle in what you could perceive to be a bit of a dead rubber given they're, they're safe and, and we're not going anywhere. Um, you know, he must be scratching his head wondering how he's not got more game time because every time he's played he has performed he displays um you know uh an ability to make the right decisions in the final third he displays an ability to uh, lead a press to lead by example to play at a really high level physically throughout a game um there's just so many good things about gabriel martinelli and his enthusiasm is almost contagious. His enthusiasm for the game and to succeed, it rubs off on those around him. And I really, really enjoy watching him play. As I said earlier on in the podcast, I'd like to see Gabriel Martinelli start on Thursday. But if he does, it means that Mikel Arteta's got decisions to make. Who does he leave out? Because I imagine one of Odegaard or Smith-Rowe will be in that number 10 position. I'd imagine that Nicola Pepe, or he should Nicola Pepe, given he's been in much better form of late and only came on as a late substitute at the weekend, should be in line to start. So where does Martinelli fit in? Or Bamiang is probably going to start through the middle. So how would you do it? Do you leave someone out? You have to. And, and who is that player going to be? I would be tempted to leave out Bukayo Saka because barring, or apart from winning the penalty at Villarreal, um, I thought he was, I thought he was uh, ineffective. But even putting that game aside, a game in which most of our players looked quite ineffective, I don't think he's been that good in the final third. And I think he's wasted chances and not always made the right decisions in recent uh, recent weeks. So that's what I would do. But if you're asking me whether or not I think Mikel Arteta will pick him, I can't with any confidence say that he will. I think when you look at previous, you have to assume that Martinelli will be on the bench on Thursday, and, and rightly or wrongly. Uh, let's pick out uh, one more uh, comment from that question section. Uh, Aldrin Tom says, any news on Kieran Tierney from within, and is it the end for David Luiz? Arsenal appear to be confident that David Luiz will feature again this season. Uh, really disappointing to see him pick up a, a, another injury, but he it seemed like he was going to miss the season regardless. And all of a sudden, he was back on the bench last Thursday. Of course, started the game, um, you know, on on Sunday, but it didn't work out. He's picked up a muscular injury to which the, the full extent, we're not really 100% sure of yet. So let's see. Uh, we'll get some team news, I'm sure, uh, sort of the day before the game against Villarreal. And we can uh, start to make our judgments and assessments uh, with regards to who may or may not be available based on that. Uh, but anything I tell you now would be would be purely my opinion rather than anything I know uh, as a fact or, or, or anything I, I suspect due to what I've been told. 
let's uh let's move on um and uh, just a quick reminder before we do that, that this show is brought to you by La Bomb, the football predictor game where you bet against your mates rather than the bookmakers. I was playing it again this weekend uh, with Elliot Hackney, Boovy, uh, with Adam McCola and Rory Jennings. And unfortunately, my winning streak came to an end. I'd won three weeks on the trot. Um, I guess uh, I had to let them uh, win the pot. Uh, sooner rather than later. So, yeah, uh, I, I lost out this week, finished second this week, which is still not disastrous, but it was the West Ham Burnley result that got me. Uh, a couple of the lads behind me uh, going into that game got perfect scores and that saw them overtake me uh, into first place. So Adam McCullough was the winner this week. Congratulations to him. We'll be back again playing next week. And if you want to check it out, the link is in the description. Download it. You must be 18 or a UK resident. 18 and a UK resident, I should say, uh, to play the game. So head over there, check out the link, download it, get involved. It is fantastic fun. Right. Let's move on uh, to a couple of other bits and pieces. Let's quickly address the, the big news today with regards to Jose Mourinho. Uh, he has been appointed as the new Roma boss. Uh, it's uh, been revealed that he will take the reins at the Stadio Olimpico from the start of next season or from this summer. Um, not a good move on Roma's part, if you're asking me. Um, I think Roma have been very short term in all of their approaches uh, when it comes to various subjects, when it comes to recruitment, managerial appointments over the last few years. And I think that's largely why Roma find themselves now in seventh place, having won one of their last seven games in all competitions. And, and they're going to miss out on Champions League qualification. They're not even in the running. Everybody up to seventh is in the running. Roma are just uh, quite a way behind. So I don't think it's a good appointment from a Roma perspective. I think it's an attempt by their American owners to make a Hollywood appointment that may bring some instant upturn and appease the fans for a while. But the reality is, I think they're overlooking the big issues at Roma. Roma need a rebuild. They've got old players. They've got, you know, an ownership that I would question whether they really know what they're doing. There are many issues at Roma, and I don't think that Jose Mourinho is the man to guide them out of that. He's shown that he falls out with players. He causes dressing room disharmony, which is one of the reasons they got rid of Paolo Fonseca in the first place. They just, you know, I agree that Mourinho is better suited to Italian football. I agree he has the potential of doing well there. But based on what I've seen of Mourinho in the last few years, if I was um, if I was Roma, it's not an appointment I would make. Uh, Peter Mendes says uh, Roma shares went up 12% after the announcement. It's, it's because it's of exactly what I just said, Peter. It's a Hollywood appointment. It's an appointment that brings eyes on the football club. So from a commercial standpoint, um, it probably feels like... Um, you know, a really good move and probably will prove to be a really good move. But from a footballing perspective, which is no doubt what the fans will want to want to see and, and will be interested and will care about. I can't see how this is a, a good move for them. Uh, and as Jorge points out as well, uh, Mickey and Smalling must be fuming. Of course, Mourinho will be reunited with Henrik Mkhitaryan, who must have thought he'd escaped Mourinho uh, finally. And of course, um, Chris Smalling, who is currently playing his football in Rome as well. Uh, so, yeah, that's my initial take on that. I think it's a Hollywood appointment, one that is designed to bring eyes on the football club, one that will bring eyes on the football club. But in appointing Jose Mourinho, I think they're 
their ownership have missed a fundamental issue, uh, which has been the short-termism that has been applied at Roma over the years, which has ultimately led to their steady decline. So for me, wrong call um, in the longer term, maybe a good one in the short term, but is that enough? And, and you know, I would probably say no. I'd probably say it isn't. Uh, but let's see. Let's see how it goes. Um, I'm a big fan of Serie A anyway, so I will be keeping a close eye on it. But it just kind of final point on, on Mourinho to Roma. It kind of shows you, doesn't it, where we're heading into a summer where Juventus are likely to, to change manager. Juventus, who are having a disappointing season, but have been at the pinnacle of Italian football for many, many years. And Mourinho's not in that conversation, but he's in the conversation for a side who are in seventh, who have no hope of qualifying for the Champions League and who are staring a European exit in the face after being absolutely hammered in their first leg against Manchester United. So the point I'm trying to make is that Jose Mourinho is no longer regarded in that top bracket of managers. And therefore, I think it's going to be second tier clubs now that will look uh, at Jose Mourinho. Tottenham um, being the last example and, and Roma being the latest. Um, you know, clubs who have histories, who have fan bases, but are in desperate need of a pickup. And, and people seem to feel like the tried and tested approach is the right way to go. Not sure I'd, I'd, I'd hand him the keys to a rebuild, though. That's my point. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on and, and finish up on really was the um, the protests at Old Trafford. And of course, we were at Arsenal uh, a couple of weeks ago now uh, protesting ahead of the game against Everton. And, you know, it was all done in fairly good spirits. The Manchester United fans took it to another level. And it has to be said and stressed that the majority of them, um, you know, acted really well. Um, made their point in the right way, didn't cause criminal damage, didn't um, injure anybody. And of course, you know, there are always a few idiots in every crowd. It's not to say that it's acceptable. It's not to say that I condone it. But the the, the reporting of it has to be focused on the good side of it. Yes, highlight the bad as well, but it feels like too much is being made of the bad, in my opinion. And I've actually been disappointed with the reaction from some of the pundits who have a voice, have a an influence over the wider football world and who have kind of ignored the good side of it. You know, we're talking about a really small minority of idiots who who overstepped the mark in comparison to the, the numbers that turned out. But this was a big win for fans, for me. And, and look, we don't want to see games postponed in an ideal world. But to get a game of this magnitude postponed... Um, you know, I think is incredible. And I think it shows that fans have huge power in this sport still. And, and that's brilliant and refreshing to see and reassuring in many ways. So, yeah, um, kudos to the, the Man United fans who went out there and done it properly and who made their point and did it peacefully. To those idiots who, who overstepped the mark, then, you know, the, the, nothing more needs to be said on that. It shouldn't have happened, but it did happen. Uh, and, and whilst I, I don't, you know, whilst I can don't, I don't condone it. What I don't want to do is lose sight of the good work done by many fans who weren't violent, who didn't damage property, but who turned up in their numbers to make their point and had their point heard. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my take on that. God, I almost forgot to talk about the other subject. That's how you know I'm feeling under the weather. But of course, 
from an Arsenal perspective, it was great, wasn't it, to see Thierry Henry on Monday Night Football sort of giving his backing to Daniel Ek, reiterating the point that he is an Arsenal fan and, and not shying away from the talk. Because I kind of expected Omri, when asked about it, to to kind of play it down, to not want to be seen as publicly, you know, on either side of it. But uh, he he spoke really openly, really well. Um, and it was great to, to hear that, uh, Daniel Wick is an Arsenal fan and, and to have that confirmed by a club legend obviously gives that a bit more weight and it gives you um, a little bit more confidence. You know, it also reiterates the fact that Daniel Wick is serious and I know we heard from him a few days ago and, and you know, he said all the right things, but to now hear it from Thierry Henry is 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 really refreshing. Don't be under any illusions, right? If a takeover is going to happen, it's going to take a bloody long time. Uh, so don't be impatient with it because you'll just be disappointed. The Cronkies say they won't sell now. That might change. Um, and that will only change if pressure is applied on them from all directions. The Arsenal fans need to continue with the protest, continue making our voices heard. Uh, the likes of Thierry Omri, uh, Daniel Ek, they need to continue to make their intentions clear. And uh, fingers crossed, you know, we can see something happen in that sense. But I'm not going to, you know, you've all seen the, the the comments, you've all heard them, you've all watched it, you've all read the, the transcript, etc. So I'm not going to bore you by going over exactly word for word what Thierry Henry had to say. But what I will say is it was really refreshing to hear him speaking like that about Daniel Ek and the prospect of Daniel Ek taking over the club. So there we go. There we go. Right, we're going to leave it there because I'm struggling not to sneeze. Um, I'm struggling uh, not to keep reaching for the tissue to blow my nose every two seconds. Uh, but a big thank you for everybody who tuned in, uh, who's watching this live, who's listening to it back later, who's watching it back later, for bearing with me uh, when feeling under the weather. Um, perhaps in future I shouldn't take days off because it feels like every time I slow down um, for a couple of days I end up getting ill probably uh, because I'm running at 150 miles an hour 24-7. And when I do slow down, the fatigue and the tiredness kicks in. But we're going to push through it. And we'll be back tomorrow with two episodes of the Chronicles of Agunas. I look forward to catching you all then. Until next time, take care of yourselves and have a great evening. Ciao. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.